Thank you, Jonathan and the worship team. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Joshua back over in the Old Testament. That's the sixth book right after Moses' uh, five. Joshua chapter 22. Today we're beginning a brand new series. going to last for, Lord willing, for four weeks through the month of February. And the title is Out of Rhythm. Out of Rhythm. With, with Valentine's Day situated right in the middle of it, February uh, it's considered by many as heart month, uh, but not just because of St. Valentine's. But let me just kind of stop for a minute and just kind of throw this out, guys, just kind of as a reminder, next Sunday is Valentine's Day. Just want to give you a heads up, and so uh, y'all remind me next Sunday morning, but I just want to tell you, think about it, plan something, whatever you need to do, but uh, next Sunday is Valentine's Day. So anyway, uh, that, that's that's free for you guys, just as a reminder for us. And ladies, y'all need to treat your husbands well. You need to buy them a chocolate heart or whatever it is that uh, trips their trigger. So, uh, But anyway, it's heart month, and uh, because it's a great, it's just a great uh, time to focus, I think, on heart issues and different, uh, you know, the American Heart Association, so many different organizations kind of capitalize on that. Uh, in talking about issues, but the human heart is, is such an amazing organ. I'm going to just share some thoughts with you uh, that I've, I found intriguing. It, it's probably a normal heart. It's probably a little bit larger than than uh, a, a clenched fist, uh, but it's a strong muscular little pump uh, that continues. I mean, it never takes a break, Lord willing. It, it should never take a break. When it does, that's a bad thing. But, but, ima- but think about this. Every day, uh, the average human heart, Beats a hundred thousand times. And, and that, you know, that's why you're tired when you get in the day, right? A hundred thousand times. And it, and it pushes two thousand gallons, if you're kind of an average person, whatever that means. It pushes two thousand gallons of blood through your body. Now, when you add all that up in, in the average 70 year lifetime, that little organ, that human heart, beats 2.5 billion times. And, and I kind of, so I kind of read that and I thought, well, I wonder how much, how many gallons is that? So I did the research and it's, uh, in the average lifetime, your heart is going to pump 51,100,000 gallons of blood through your system. And so that little guy, that little girl, whatever you want to call it, is, man, it's so critical that your heart be healthy. Uh, did you know? That the number one killer of males in America is heart disease. And did you know the number one killer of females in America is heart disease? Uh, HealthGov.org suggests that uh, not only is it the number one killer in both, but at least one out of four people uh, who die, die because of heart disease-related Complications. The World Health Organization tells us that there's over 17 million people a year die from heart disease. They suggest that as many as half uh, die because of heart-related issues. Uh, but, it, but at the end of the day, it's critical that we keep this part of our body healthy. Cardiovascular disease, according to De- TexasHeart.org, says... Cardiovascular disease can take many forms. Obviously, we know about high blood pressure, many of us, including me. That's kind of one of our things. There's coronary 
artery disease. There's, uh, there's valvular and also I would guess vascular heart disease. And then obviously there's a stroke that's uh, kind of brain related, but heart related. And then there's the arrhythmias, which is the irregular heartbeat and, and, and obviously uh, some other deals. But, but, but think about this. One of the forms of heart disease, one of the things that can get your heart in trouble is what we call or what they call arrhythmia or the irregular heartbeat. Now, kind of to simplify that, what that means is our heart either beats too fast, it either beats too slow, or it beats too erratically to be able to effectively and efficiently pump the blood uh, through our system, those millions of gallons, or or those thousands of gallons that go through there every day, and those millions over a lifetime. And so, uh, so arrhythmia poses a great danger because just the very presence of an irregular heartbeat makes the risk of a heart attack tend to go up, escalating. It makes the the tendency to have cardiac arrest go way up. It makes the possibility of you or me having a stroke go way up. And so an irregular heartbeat may not seem like much, but if it gets out out of rhythm, then it can get us into great trouble and into uh, great difficulty. Now, uh, obviously I'm an advocate of of healthy hearts and healthy physical hearts, Um, but I'm probably not quite as much of an advocate of healthy or heart-healthy behaviors. Uh, Let me kind of explain that. I, I believe in heart exercise. I, you know, I like to jog and I believe in doing some things and riding a bike or, or whatever you choose for fitness. I'm all for that. That's the one side of the equation. That's part of the equation. And so I, I'm, I'm okay with the fitness. Now the genetics, you either got it or you don't. You can't really do anything about that, but you got genetics, then you got, you got the, the fitness and exercise. But there's another part to that equation that's over here. I'm not quite so good at it. And that's that part about the diet. You know, because I like barbecue, and I like ice cream, and I like Mexican food, and you know, you you kind of going down the list, right? I mean, can I get a witness? Okay, uh, a lot. You know, I, 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 you know, some people eat so they can run well. I run so I can eat more. That's kind of my, you know, uh, th- that's my what the way I look at it. But, um, but the fact is, if we want to be physically healthy uh, for the all the days that God's ordered for us. One of the things we need to learn to do is we need to take care of our physical heart. It's just wise to do, and we need to do that. But what applies to the heart, and, and there's things that affect it. And you know, we've talked about, you know, uh, blood pressure, uh, you know, affects it. And we talked about, you know, that, that, that cardio disease, that internal disease, you know, that, that affects it. And, and, and you can get blockages and, and, and it can get out of rhythm and, and all those things. Can but, but the same things that can happen to your physical heart can also affect your spiritual heart. I mean, pressure can affect you spiritually, right? You know, disease, we, you know, we wouldn't think, well, spiritual, what's spiritual disease? Well, it's sin. You know, the tendency to sin, the exposure to sin, the engagement, involvement in sin, you know, can cause spiritual disease just like too much barbecue and ice cream and cholesterol and all these things can lead to cardiac disease. I mean, there's just, you know, there's just kind of a connection. The idea of a blockage, you know, I mean, all of us have been, probably all of us that follow Christ, there's probably been a season where, where you feel like you're, you're just, there's just kind of a wall between you and spiritual growth, or there's a wall between you and the Lord, or, or there's, a, there's a ceiling between you and God. We, we've all 
probably been to that place where we just feel like, man, there's a spiritual blockage going on. Right? And we just can't seem to get where we want to go. And then this idea of getting out of rhythm. I mean, it's so easy. It's so easy to get out of spiritual rhythm. You know, we can just, you know, just things tend to happen. And so over the next few weeks, what we want to do is we want to address some of the, some of the areas, not so much what the, maybe what the causes are, but what are some of the areas that are susceptible to, um, getting out of rhythm and, you know, and, and being spiritually not as healthy, if you will, in our heart as we want to be. And so we're going to, we're going to look to Joshua to kick us off today. Uh, we're going to look at verse four and five of chapter 22, where, where the old prophet, the leader of Israel, by the way, he was the, he followed Moses. Moses couldn't enter the land. Moses, uh, land. Moses had mentored him for years and years and he poured into his life and then God put Joshua in charge. But kind of before we read that, let me just kind of give you some background because we're going to jump in at the end of the book. And so I need to kind of set that all up by just kind of telling you, uh, the Israelites were ready to go in and take possession of the land that God had promised them, uh, for, for generations, but especially for the 40 years they wandered in the, in the wilderness. They had to go in and conquer the land and then they were going to divide the land. And so the first half deals with Israel conquering the land, and it's really an interesting and exciting book to read. I encourage you, if you had not spend any time there, to read it. The second half of the book deals with how the land was divvied. Once they conquered it, how it was divided up between the tribes of Israel. Now, an interesting thing happened when they were, when were, when they were on the mountain viewing the land, when Moses was still with them, before they were going to go in, two and a half tribes, the, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they, these guys were, uh, I won't say they were cowboys, but they were ranchers. I mean, they were, they were keepers of livestock. And when they looked over the mountain, they could see the Jordan River in the distance and they could see the mountains before them. But kind of in front of them was, was the land of Gilead. And man, it was cowboy country. It was just, it was good for ranching. It was good for shepherding. And so they said, Moses, we, we don't really want to go into the land over there. We would kind of like to stay here. We would, I mean, we can raise our livestock. We can herd our sheep. We can kind of do, do this and this. Can we stay? And so Moses says, you can if you'll settle, you'll put up your houses, put up your tents, leave your livestock, leave your wives, leave your children. And but your your soldiers, you've got to go across the river. You've got to go into the land, and you've got to help Israel conquer the land. And if you're willing to go conquer the land and wait until they're settled to go back and settle, then you can have this kind of ranch country, the the, the cowboy country, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so they said, we will do that. And so they did. And so with that in mind, they've just kind of finished up, man, the land's been conquered, the land's been divided, they're kind of uh, at that point, it's almost like retirement, they're about to go into rest. We talked about spiritual rest in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 a few weeks ago. Well, that's where we're at. Now, having said all that, let's pick up in chapter 22, and I just want to look quickly at, at two verses, verse 4 and verse 5. And Joshua says to the, to the uh, Reubenites, the Gadites, and whatever the half-tribe, whatever the Manassehites, or I don't know how you say that. But anyway, he says this. He says, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn 
Go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be careful. Be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's, let's pray and then we'll kind of unpack this. Father, I pray in these next few moments that you would open the eyes of our heart and that you would speak out of your word uh, into our life. God, truth that will have an influence and an impact. To keep us, Lord, in rhythm, and if we're out of rhythm, that it will move us back into rhythm. But if we're, but if we're somewhat in rhythm, that we will learn the things we need to continue to do uh, to be faithful. And so would you speak into our life, uh, God, to help us as followers to love you. And God, I also know that in the auditorium, there are those who have yet to decide to totally surrender their life and to totally follow after you through a relationship with Jesus. And my prayer is that you would stir their heart, even though I'm talking kind of to us today, to believers. I pray for those that may not yet be, that they would see that that God has something good for them. And Lord, so would you just have your way in our heart and our life this morning? Would you bring to mind everything you want us to hear? Just anoint the teaching with your spirit and your power, and we'll give the glory and honor to Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, as we, as I kind of thought about that, you know, I, I'm sure for Joshua and probably for a number uh, of the leaders and, and maybe a lot of the soldiers, this day came with mixed emotions. Obviously, there was great joy. They had conquered the land. They had rest. Everybody had their possession. They were headed. I mean, they were headed home. So there had to be a sense of joy. Man, we, we came. We conquered. We're going home. There's joy. But at the same time, there, there had to be some sorrow and some sadness because they did come and they did conquer and they went to battle together. And for years, these guys had, they had been out in the trenches and they had been out in the, in the wilderness and they, I mean, they had fought together and they had, you know, they, they, they were cold together and they were hungry together and they sweated together. And I mean, there's just some, I mean, they had a bond. And so they came to that point and they said, you know, we're, you know, some of them about, uh, you know, about 20% of them were headed back across the river. And they were going back to another place. And for some of them, you know, they're never going to see the same guys again. And so there was, there was joy and, and there had to be some sorrow because some of you, you understand that you, you've been, you went to war, you've been to war with people. And there's a bond that comes. But, but there's a, there was a third emotion that I believe we see in Joshua, he's old, he's advanced in years, they've done what God's called him to do, he's sending this group home, and he kind of knows, you know, kind of the, the sorrow, and he knows the joy, but he, but he also knows there's a danger. And so he has concern for them. And, and the danger that they faced, and the concern that Joshua had for the people of Israel, is the same danger that we face. And we should have, and kind of as a pastor, I have the same concern, not simply for you, but for us. And so I want us to, th- before we kind of get into the practical aspect, I want us to think about kind of that, that danger, if you will, that they face. Because I, I, I see Joshua understood, notice, notice the end of verse 4, how he says, 
He says, therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. The promise was fulfilled. They, they had been looking for this for generations. Uh, they had been wandering in the desert for years to have this. And they finally got to that moment. And Josh says, okay, it's time to go home. And it's time to go and enjoy what God has provided for you. Now, that was true for them. But here's what I believe is true for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you've come to know Jesus, in a sense, when God saves you, a part of your spiritual inheritance is here and now. A part of our spiritual possession is now. Now, I know that the the greatest thing we have to look forward to is heaven. And I know the greatest... Thing is to be with Jesus forever and ever. But, but there's a part of us where, where God saves us and then God sends us and He says, I want you to go back to your tent. I want you to go back to your life. I want you to go back to your work, go back into your neighborhood, go back into your relationships. I want you to enjoy what I have done for you and how I have changed you. Now, some of you might say, Pastor, you're getting a little, you're getting a little, uh, a little bit of health and wealth gospel. No, no. I, I'm just telling you what Jesus told us. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and might have it to the full, or you might have abundant life. And so what I think God is saying to us, like he said to the people uh, through Joshua to Israel, go back into your life and enjoy it, but be careful that you take your faith and your belief, your Jesus, if you will, with you. And the reason he was concerned is he knew. He knew that there were just some dangers. And there, there are two that I think jump out, or at least one jumps off the text and one I think jumps out of reality. The first was, and I didn't bring a, a picture, but you may have, you probably have a map in the back of your Bible. But man, there, there's a Sea of Galilee up here. There's the Jordan River here. And then there's the Dead Sea down here. And on one side, you got the half tribe of Manasseh and you got the Reuben, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. But then across that river and across those lakes, man, that's where the rest of the Israelites were. And here's what, here's what, and by the way, where the rest of the people were, that's where they went to worship. They, there were three feasts a year that everybody showed up and they came and they worshiped. They were, they were the three different feasts. And, and so three times a year they'd go and worship. But, but, Joseph, uh, but Joshua understood that, that during the interim between those feasts, between those three periods, the danger was the separation from the people of God, the separation from the family of God, the separation from the benefits and blessings of God, there was the chance they would be distracted and that they would drift away. And, and so one writer astutely noted, uh, I mean, we don't think about this, but they were, they were across the river and behind the lake and behind the sea. They didn't have bridges. They didn't have a ferry that you went and jumped on and, and, and kind of motored across. They, they didn't have it like we do. In fact, yesterday our girls took uh, piano theory and it was over at Concordia University. And, you know, if you drive out that way, you, you go you, you go over those great canyons and, and, and you go down and you cross the river and you see the big dam there on the left over the other side of Lakeway. And you know, they, didn't, they didn't have a dam like that. They just, they had, they had water and there was no easy way across. And Joshua understood it'd be really easy for them to get over here on this side and say, you know, uh, man, it's so hard to get back. And so there was the danger of separation. But secondly, and I think even more importantly, Joshua understood 
what I would, not just the danger of separation and distraction, but the danger of, of drift and disorder. Uh, the, there, there's a natural tendency for things to just drift toward disorder. Now, natural drift is an evolutionary term. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in physics, the concept is entropy. Uh, entropy. And I consulted our, our physics expert, who's Ryan Wilkes. He's our, our physics expert. And, and so I consulted him on this. But, but basically, entropy, simply put, is that nature flows from dis, from order to disorder. Now, in Aggie terms, it means this. Stuff falls apart. <laughs> if you have stuff, it's sooner or later it's going to start falling apart. Probably sooner than later. And, uh, and, and that's just, that's just, that's the way things work. I mean, order to disorder. If we had a coffee cup and we set it up here and it fell off and, and it, and it shattered, that would be order to disorder. And the interesting thing about the law of entropy is, and the law of physics or this rule of physics is that when it goes from order to disorder, it cannot reorder itself on its own. If, if you're going to reorder that coffee cup, you've got to have glue and, and so you've got to have work and you've got to have energy. Now, the same cup, you can put coffee in it. You sit it on your desk. You've got a hot cup of coffee. You sit it on your desk. Somebody calls. You, you get to working on a project. And 30 minutes later, you pick up that hot cup of coffee. And guess what's happened? That hot cup of coffee is no longer hot anymore. And so... That idea from order to disorder. Now, it may, st- it may still look the same, but the heat that was all inside has drifted outside. It's gone from order to disorder. Now, now, if you have a Yeti tumbler, it, it may not happen in a half hour, okay? It may be two hours or three hours. But eventually, because of the, the law, order to disorder is going to happen. Um, here's another example. I, I thought about bringing a, just some ice up here. Because when you, water in the form of ice is, is kind of in order. I mean, you could put a, you know, we could, we could just put a, a big cube of ice right here. We could just sit it there and it'd be all hunky dory. We come back in a few hours. When it melts, when it goes from order to disorder, is, would all that water be right here? No, it'd be all over. Because that's kind of the tendency. And Ryan pointed out, when a baby's born, it begins to die. That's just a law. You know, that, Order to disorder. I mean, as we age, physically, we go from order to disorder. I mean, when you're young and you're like Ian, you're, you're, you're 20 something, you got these big old biceps and you're, you're just buff. But and, I mean, they're in order. And the older you get, they tend to, they change order, right? They go from up here and then they go under here. And, and, and when they're up here, they're, they're firm and tight. And when they're under here, they're, they're different, right? Some of you know, y'all have experienced it. Guys, you know, furniture disease, we had this, you know, well, some of you had this big buff up here, and then over time it just drifts. Order, you know, order to disorder. I, I think that's why they invented yoga pants, to help bring stuff back into order, right? You know, or you if you go to Dick's and you get that, they, they call it body armor. It's just the under armor you put on it. And, and you put these, you know, it's like two sizes too small. And you put it on and all of a sudden stuff starts looking like it's supposed to. And you're like, man, this, is, this isn't bad. And then you take it off. You go, oh, no. <laughs> See, so 
but but that's what happens is we just I mean it's a it's a it's a rule of life that we go from order to disorder. Joshua knew that, and here's what he knew. Spiritually. Think about this spiritually. It, here you are, you come to faith in Christ, and, and maybe the first couple of years you're excited about the Lord, and you're spending time in the Word, and you're growing, and you're developing, and, and, uh, and here you are, and you're kind of at this level, and then a few months down the road, you don't really do anything any different, you're just kind of going, you're not doing anything bad, you've not got into sin or anything, but then a few years down the road, or maybe you look back, and it's, t- it's a couple of years down the road, and you go, man, I used to be way up there. Spiritually, man, I was close to God and we had, we had these great quiet times and we, we just, we were, God and I, were, we were tight. And then a few months or a few years later, you look around and go, man, what happened? You, you didn't really do anything bad, but the tendency is to go from order to disorder. That's just, that's just a law. That, that's built into God's universe. And, and that's, it's true spiritually. How, how many, anybody remember what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation? Anybody remember that? Let me set that up before we go there. T- turn in your Bible to Acts chapter, uh, 19. Acts 19. Just quickly. I want to, I want to show you a couple of verses. Paul's, uh, in the book, in the book of Acts, Paul actually shows up in Ephesus. He spends three months preaching and teaching in the synagogues, and they kick him, kind of, kind of run him out of there, and he spends two years kind of out in the lecture hall of Tyrannus and out sharing and prophesying. And listen to what happens in verse 10. It says this, Paul preaching and teaching and sharing. It says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Can I, can I just tell you, the church at Ephesus right then was thriving. Everybody... It says everybody in the neighborhood, the residents of Asia, everybody in that circle of the world had heard the gospel. And some estimates are there could have been as many as a hundred thousand people. And so they, they, they had heard the word of the Lord. Okay. Well, Paul kind of finishes up his ministry. He goes on, he goes on another, uh, journey and he, and he's coming back through later on. Go over to chapter 20. And beginning in verse 28, now it's the same church at Ephesus, man, things are going well, things are doing good. But listen to what he says, he gathers the elders, the leaders of the church, here's what he says in verse 28. He says, he says now, sounds kind of like Joshua, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he goes on to talk about from your own selves. And, and, and so what Paul said to this church, probably somewhere in the 60s A.D., Paul says, you better pay attention. Okay. We'll spool over to Revelation chapter 2, probably about 30, 40 years later. I'm just giving you a ballpark, but let's just assume it's 30, 35 years later. Here's what happened. Jesus talks about, well, you're doing this and you're doing this. But listen to what he says in verse 4. Revelation 2, verse 4, to that church in Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You see, what Jesus knew... And what Paul knew and what Joshua knew and what we need to know is that spiritually the tendency is to go from spiritual order 
to disorder because that's a law of life. The tendency is to go from perfect rhythm to drift out of rhythm and to be, to be, to have an irregular or a, maybe a, even an erratic spiritual heartbeat. That was the tendency. And so Joshua knew that. And Paul knew that. And Jesus knew that. And so what Joshua did is he gave us some guidelines. He says, since that is true, you need to, you need to be careful that you keep the law and the commandment that Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, gave to his father. And then and he, he kind of tells us to do that. And then he kind of describes what that might look like. He gives us some, some principles. He kind of gives us, there's five actual statements that he makes of how we guard against losing our first love. How do we guard against being out of fellowship? How do we guard against that, that movement from order uh, to disorder? And here's what they are. He says, number one, he says, love the Lord your God. He says, walk in his ways. He says, keep his commands. He says, cling to him. And he says, serve him. And then he says, and do it all. Or do it with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, when we look at those five mandates, if you will, those commandments that he gave to them, I think they kind of, you can kind of break them into three simple, practical things that, that we can do to help keep us from spiritual drift, to help keep us from getting out of rhythm. And let me share those with you quickly. First one is, is listen, to, to stay where we want to be spiritually, to stay in rhythm, we have to obey the Lord. We have to obey the Lord. He says to love the Lord. He says to walk in His ways. And then He says to keep His commandments. And all of those have a nuance of loving the Lord. First of all, that word to walk in His ways, uh, when, when you get to looking at that, that same word is, talks, is, is used, uh, is translated as to go, is translated as to move, is translated as to come, and is translated as to follow. So in essence, what Joshua is saying, when you go and come, <coughs> Go in his ways. Come in his ways. Follow in his ways. Walk in his ways. And so that simply the idea is that, that as we are living, when you go over there and live your life, live like God would live. Live like Jesus would live. Remember a few years ago we had the bracelet, WWJD? You know, what would Jesus do? That's kind of the idea. God just wants us, listen, to obey him means that, that, that we try to live and, and pattern our life after Jesus. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly, but just pra- from a practical standpoint, here's a couple things that, to think about. Okay, God is a God of integrity, right? He does what he says. Always. So if we're going to walk in his ways, we ought to be people of integrity. Our, our goal ought to be to do what we say. We ought, we ought to be honest and, 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 and true, faithful. God's a God of integrity. God's a God of grace. Man, God is so... Listen, uh, I, I, told, I told the early service, man, you know how I know God's gracious? I'm alive today. You're, we're here today. I mean, if, if God wasn't a God of grace, we, we could and probably should all be gone and in hell. But, but, but that's not... God, God's a God of grace. So we should be gracious. Uh, if we're going to walk in God's way, we've got to walk in... Grace, and that, that's experiencing His grace, but it's also displaying His grace to others. God's a God of forgiveness. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Yeah. Hey, again, we're still here, right? So I'm to be, a, I, I need to walk in forgiveness. I need to offer forgiveness. I need to, I, and sometimes I need to ask for forgiveness. 
So if we're going to walk in this way, we walk in grace, we walk in forgiveness, we walk in integrity. And we could go on and on. Uh, one more quickly. Uh, God's a God of righteousness and perfect holiness. If we're going to walk in Him, we've we got to walk in lovingly into righteousness. So, so part of obeying the Lord is walking in His way. But a part of obeying the Lord is keeping His commands. And I don't, we don't have time to look there, but, but just write down in your margin, Deuteronomy 11 verse 1 and Deuteronomy 11 verse 18, where, where God, where Moses says, really the month before they went into the land, he says, listen, if you're going to love the Lord, you got to obey His word. If you're going to love the Lord, you got to keep His commands. If you're going to love the Lord, you got to keep charge. Now, you may be thinking, but pastor, this is the Old Testament. And this is the Old Testament they lived under law. Right? Pastor, aren't we under grace? Pastor, yeah, we are under grace. But you know what? You know how Jesus defined love? John 14, 15, write that in your margin. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. See that? To love God is to obey Him. To not obey God is to say that we don't love Him. Now, you know, we can talk about all the, you know, we want to talk about, but if I'm not willing to bring my life into obedience, if you're not willing to bring your life into obedience, if we're not willing to walk in His ways and obey His commands, we don't really love Him. Based on what Jesus said and what Moses said and what Joshua said, and I could bring up some other guys. So, so to, to stay in order and to stay in rhythm, we've got to stay in obedience. Secondly, not only to obey the Lord, but I, the second nuance out of those five uh, statements is the idea of to honor the Lord. We're called to honor the Lord. And really, that, that's so much of what obedience is, is honor. I mean, think about this. When our kids obey us, or when we obeyed our parents, or when we obey our parents, that's a sign of honor. I, I respect and I honor, so I obey. And so there's a, there's a sense of that. Uh, when, when the scriptures talk about it, there's a sense of honor. Uh, we've all probably been, we've all probably had this experience. You've been out somewhere. Maybe you're at the mall. Maybe you're in the doctor's office. You've been in some place and you, you've seen how a, a child doesn't honor their parents. Or maybe the parent doesn't honor the child, but specifically the child doesn't honor their parents. And uh, there's probably been a few, I mean, there's been times when I, 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 you know, there's been times when I felt really sorry for the parent because it was a really bad situation or really exceedingly sorry for a child because the parent was dishonoring them. There's also been times when I wanted to help the parent, you know, and just say, you know, if you, if you could just spank him, you would help him. Uh, we'll talk about this in two weeks. There's some things that can only be learned through the seat of the pants. Okay, there you, I promise. And, you know, but you've been in that situation and then 15 minutes later, you're like, he's begging for it. Could you, could you give him what he's asking for? So we've seen that. Why? Why? Because we know that to disobey is to dishonor, right? Well, the scripture says as we obey him, we honor him. But there's even a, another term that I want to call your attention to in 22 verse 5 of Joshua. It's the idea of to cling to him. Now, you may recognize that, that word. It's, it's used in a number of different ways. That word cling, 
It's used, uh, let me give you, uh, I don't know, four or five different ways that, that we uh, that we see it translated in the Old Testament. It means to hold on to. It means to be joined to. It means to fasten. It means to stay. It means to to uh, pursue. In Proverbs 18, 24, you probably remember that verse. It says there's a friend that sticks closer to the bro- to a brother or closer than a brother, which is probably a reference to Jesus. Uh, but it means it means to stick, to hold on to, to uh, to grasp, and it may even be translated cleave. Because think about this. If you're married, you stood before a, a preacher or a group of people or a justice of the peace. But, but if you're married, you stood up somewhere and, and you committed to, to love and cherish and honor your wife or your husband. And, and you, you know where that comes from? Genesis chapter 2, where God says a man shall, shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave or cling unto his wife. And so just let, we'll get into this next week. We'll get into that next week. But I want you to think about this thought. To honor God is to cling to Him. And to cling to God is to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm leaving the old life. I'm leaving the old way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to cleave unto the new way and the new life. And that's, that's how we honor the Lord. We honor Him by obeying Him, but we honor Him by leaving the old and cherishing the new. And then one other thought, just real quickly, there, you can't separate loving God and being in rhythm with God. You cannot separate that from serving God. All throughout the Scriptures... You love and obey, you love and honor, but you love and serve. I mean, that's so Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, right? But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and so, when you look at all this, there's, there's a cost to it. There's a cost. If you're going to serve the Lord... There's going to be a cost to that. If you're going to honor the Lord, there's some things we've got to say no to. There's some old, there's some stuff in the old that we've got to, we've got to move on from. You know, we've got to leave that. You know, if, if, we're going to, if we're going to obey the Lord, sometimes, you know, I don't know how it works for you, but sometimes God asks me to do something that I had just didn't do something else. Right? So there's a cost associated with obeying. And we need to be careful that we do that and we honor the Lord. Now, he qualifies all those statements, those three ideas, to serve, to honor, and and to obey. He qualifies them with that statement, with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, depending on who you read, some people say the heart is about the emotion. I, I don't think so. I think the heart is about the, the volition. It's the seed of the emotion, but it's also... The seat of the will, sometimes in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, mind and uh, heart were, were kind of connected. Uh, so there, but it's volitional. I believe the reference to the soul does have something to do with emotion. Uh, and so what I think the writer is saying is there needs to be some passion in our obedience. There needs to be some passion as we honor Him. There needs to be passion 
as we serve Him. And that passion should, should come out of the love, grace, and mercy He has for us. And so we need to be careful. You, you need to be careful with your heart because it's the heart. See, Proverbs, um, just a couple verses real quickly. Proverbs uh, 4, 23, just let me read it to you. I'd write the note in your margin. Proverbs 4, 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, we, we need to guard our heart. You, you know why we need to do that? Write this in your margin. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. In that chapter in Deuteronomy, chapter 11 is really a, a good read, if you will. But, but he said to the Israelites, Moses said, You need to take care or your heart will be deceived and you will follow other gods. Now, in our culture, you know, you will follow idols is what he would say. Now, in our culture, we would say, oh, man, there's nothing. We don't have any idols. I mean, you don't have a carving in your house, at least I hope, at least not for an idol. Um, you, don't, you don't have a, a golden calf, at least certainly not one you worship. Hopefully, you don't have a crystal. You don't have something that, some idol. You say, well, we, we wouldn't have an idol. But you know the reality is, and someone, maybe Michael Katz, someone said this. Um, anything we love more than God is an idol. Anything that I love, anything that you love, anything that we decide to love more and put ahead of God is an idol. And so the writer, the speaker, Joshua says, be very careful. That's why Solomon wrote 400 years later or, or so, Keep your heart with vigilance. Because if not, the tendency is to drift away from order to disorder. And so you need to guard your heart. And to do that, we need to consistently, not perfectly because we can't, but consistently obey Him. We need to consistently honor Him. We need to consistently serve Him. I'll share one last thought. Uh, Martin Luther, father of the Reformation and probably modern Protestantism, said that, well, let me quote it exactly. He says, your God is where you hang your heart. Your God is where you hang your heart. And so, I guess a fair question is, where is our heart today? Are we in order? Are we in rhythm? Or have we allowed ourselves to drift. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I know that uh, as we unpack this passage, Lord, a message like this kind of falls in some different areas. Sometimes we, maybe we have a problem and maybe we struggle to obey or, or, or maybe we, we struggle to honor you and, and to leave everything from the old and, and to move on to the new. Or, or maybe we're busy and, and we love you and we, we try to obey you and we seek to honor you, but, but we just can't seem to find time to to, to serve you. And, and God, my prayer for us is that, that we would just be intentional so that we will keep our heart in rhythm. So that we will be intentional so we will keep our life in order. Because God, if we go back to physics, when, when, you, when something goes from order to disorder, 
The only way to get it back, it takes work and energy. And God, if we want to get back in order, we, we've got to do the work. We've got to bring our life into obedience. We've got to bring our life back to honor you, to serve you. So God, help us to do that. God, I, I know in the auditorium there's, there's some who haven't decided to follow you. and You know, they may be thinking, man, if, if you've got to obey and you've got to honor and you've got to serve, I, I don't know what I would do with that. But, but I would simply say this. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name's Jesus. He forgives our sin. He blesses us. He heals all our diseases. He sets us free. And my prayer is they would come to know the Lord Jesus. So, Father, may we apply this into our life and we'll give you glory and honor for all you do. God, thank you for speaking into our life. Lord, we're going to receive our offering. Father, as our ushers come, I pray that you'd take what we bring this morning. I pray that you'd uh, use it uh, to tell the story of God's love and grace and mercy and his plan to give us an ordered, gracious spiritual life. Help us to, to give graciously and faithfully for the kingdom of God is my prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.